Hey, Rose, do you ever call up Royally Obsessed on Alexa? It's one of the easiest ways to listen to the pod. You can hear our latest episode every week there, thanks to Amazon Music, which has a full catalog of podcasts, including Royally Obsessed. All you have to do is say, Alexa, play Royally Obsessed on Amazon Music. Oh, no, mine is listening to me say that right at this moment. <laughs> a royal reminder, new episodes drop every Thursday. Tune in on Amazon Music. Now on to the show. Rise for their majesties of Royally Obsessed, the podcast for all things royals. Three cheers for His Majesty the King. It's time for another episode of Royally Obsessed. I'm singing it because I'm so excited. We have a lot to talk about this week. I'm Roberta. And I'm Rachel. I know it's like a royal grab bag, Roberta. It is, but those are my favorite weeks because we're all over the place and so are they. So it's fun. Follow us on Instagram at Royally Obsessed Podcast. Send us your listener emails. We love hearing from you guys. We want to hear more thoughts about The Crown Season 6. We're going to talk about that today as well. Send us those emails, info at gallerypodcasts.com. What's in the royal grab bag today, Rachel? Well, as you mentioned, new crown photos. We're going to discuss that. But also royal jet setters. Harry and Meghan pics popped up that they were decompressing in the Caribbean while Kate and William were off in France. We also have a couple of royal memoirs to get excited about. This was such a surprise in the news to see that Edward, there's going to be a new book about King Edward VIII and Charles Spencer. We have a suit spinoff that is another surprise, a royal adjacent wedding, that and so much more coming up. Roberta, I'm excited. And now it's time for the weekly royal cocktail. Me too. And to get through all that, we have a very autumnal drink for you. Our royal refreshment Ooh, great this word. week is hot apple cider, which I had yesterday. We Yum. had a company offsite yesterday and it's the perfect drink i think to add a splash of whiskey to and warm up those cold fingers i was freezing yesterday so it was delicious i know it's also everywhere at farmer's markets i feel like that's what i usually go every sunday to the farmer's market in brooklyn and i just was like here for the apple cider stands I want to take Dave apple picking and get some apple cider, fresh apple cider. But we did this last year and we never drank it. And I'm so mad at myself still. And we let it go bad. So I'm definitely going to do it this year and make sure that we get around to drinking the apple cider. I know. I love apple picking and pumpkin picking and all those things. I did want to talk about something very cozy I did. I know I mentioned that I started Meet Me at the Lake while you were in Egypt. I finished it in like a blitz this weekend, Roberta. And it is such a page turner. Like, you know that moment when you click into a book, totally clicked in to the point that I was redirecting Finn to like adjacent activities. I was like, you play with those Legos. And I was just tearing through the book. And it is such a great read. I cannot wait to see what Harry and Meghan do with it. And I think what surprised me so much is that there's so much Toronto in it. Like I know that was mentioned, but it really is such a through line of the book. And there's a lot of specifics about Toronto. And it just made me want to plan a trip to Toronto. (laughs) Who do you picture in the leading roles? Who would Harry and Meghan cast? I thought about it the entire time. And I do not know because I actually feel like it would do really well with some unknowns like versus Mm. like you don't you need some kind of up and coming faces I think definitely younger I think when we talked about this before I said the Maeve from Sex Education who I love but she's very up and coming and young so maybe she fits the bill 
I know. She would be great. Are you watching Sex Education, of course? Yes. Yes. It's so good. I'm I'm it's savoring so it. I'm like three episodes in, but I just, I love every minute. It's so fun. Eric is my favorite, always. Did you have a good weekend, though? Yes, I had a great weekend. We're fully recovered from travels and illnesses and all of that. Oh, so good. it was good. What about you? Yeah, no, it was good. It was, like I said, I was really kind of homebound. The rain keeps hitting every single weekend. It does. It really does. Yeah. Also, I have to add an addendum to mine. <laughs> While it was great, um, it was also very depressing that the Eagles lost for the first time ever this year. Oh, were you at the <laughs> so game or was... just watching it? No, we just watched it. But I have to shout out the Philly fans that I know are listening. So. Oh, my god! But the Phillies are doing great. So, yeah. So it was, it, was, are. it was all right. We're going to talk some sports coming up. I know. What is this? A sports podcast? Let's get back to the Royals with our <laughs> listener email. It's a special one because it's actually a little bit of This Week in Royal History crossover with listener email. So Lauren, who attended our Platyjube celebration in New York City, wrote us. She said, as you know, my husband Carter was recently diagnosed with a rare leukemia. While Carter's overall prognosis is really positive, his cancer has progressed aggressively. So she says, and I'm paraphrasing a little here, she says they have a difficult few months ahead, but she has listened to Royally Obsessed through it all. She continues, you girls have given me more than you will ever, ever know. I've listened to the pod in hospital cafeterias, surgical waiting rooms, doctor's offices. And in all those moments for just a bit, I get to feel like I'm right back in New York with you two celebrating the Jubilee with so many amazing Roros. Moreover, this community has rallied behind me and Carter since we announced his diagnosis. The genuine loving friendships this podcast has brought me have been steadfast through this difficult season of life. Also, she writes, my husband Carter is a massive University of Georgia fan. Fun fact, they met at UGA on their first day of law school. She says, as it turns out, King Charles III has his own connection to the school. On October 22nd, 1977, so this week, 50 years ago, 50 some years ago, then Prince Charles visited UGA and even attended a football game at Samford Stadium. He was 28 years old at the time, which is how old Carter turned this year in August. Prince Charles walked onto the field to a sold-out crowd chanting, Damn Good Prince, a riff on the iconic Damn Good Dog title UGA fans bestow upon their beloved mascot, Ugga, and those who demonstrate perseverance, loyalty, and the highest accomplishments of character both on and off the gridiron. And she writes, P.S. Here are a few articles about Prince Charles's visit to Athens, Georgia. I loved these articles. I love this note. We love Lauren so much. I know. This was such a sweet note, and we totally have you and Carter in our hearts at all time. I do think this is becoming a little bit of a sporting episode, and I'm here for it. <laughs> I just realized there's more sports to come. Also, I wanted to <laughs> shout out, looking through the New York Times archives about this, James Brown was also there, and he was the halftime performer. So there was a lot of famous faces at this game. The game, the stadium was packed, and yet, unfortunately, Georgia lost, and it emptied out right at halftime after they saw James Brown perform <laughs> and after they saw Charles on the field. Charles was supposed to get a gift from one of the teams. They lost the gift somehow. It's still a mystery where it went. So they offered him a pack of gum kind of as a joke, and <laughs> Charles declined politely. It's just a really funny story. Look it up if you have time. I think it's hilarious. I feel like what does royal protocol say about offering the Prince of Wales at the time, a pack of gum. Is that in the, is that allowed? Is that 
Yeah, royals don't chew gum. That's protocol, I guess. So I It would know. not be a good look. I mean, don't they say that for just general? It's like when you go into a meeting or go to work, you shouldn't be chewing gum or something. Yes, it's a good tip to remember. Well, thank you, Lauren, for that beautiful and touching note. And now, this week in royal history. We do have an official Royal History segment as well. We're flashing back to October 16th, 1999, when Tiggy Leg Burke married her teenage sweetheart, Charles Pettifer. Of course, Tiggy was Prince William and Harry's nanny beginning in 1993, right after Charles and Diana separated. Tiggy and Charles are still married to this day. They're celebrating 25 years coming up. William and Harry, as I mentioned, were in attendance, but Charles, formerly Prince Charles, was not in attendance. There was strict security at this occasion held at the 6,000-acre Glanisk Estate. This was the family home of Tiggy's parents and where she continues to live now. It was pre-smartphones, but pics were not allowed. This is how much I imagine because William and Harry were there. That was a big part of the lockdown, but also just all the headlines swirling over the years about Tiggy's relationship with the royal family. Tiggy wore a Catherine Walker dress, so very of the Mm. moment with how much Diana had cherished that designer and the royals continue to cherish Catherine Walker's work. Prince William apparently drove Harry over. Prince William was 17 at the time. Harry was 15. And they reported to have whooped with delight after the vows. Of course, there was no coverage inside. Just as a reminder, Charles hired Tiggy to step in and help with handling the boys once Diana and him got separated in 1993. It sounds like Similar to the royals, Charles Pettifer and Tiggy had a crazy love story. They were teenage sweethearts, but her aristocratic parents dubbed him not good enough. And so he married someone else, ironically named Camilla. Then they divorced, and Charles Pettifer married Tiggy in this affair that we were discussing currently. I just was like, there's a lot of Charles and Camilla overlap in this royal history section. Whoa, that is crazy. Yes, yes. I just think it's kind of a, you know, like I said, royal adjacent history moment. But Tiggy has played such a huge part in the course of William and Harry's lives, of course, and Diana's too. The animosity that Diana held toward Tiggy is something that has been the subject of recent headlines, mainly at the hands of Martin Bashir. As we know now, he fabricated an abortion receipt in 1995 in an effort to land that infamous Panorama interview. This all led Diana to believe that Tiggy was the other woman, which is also something that Harry discussed in Spare, which I want to play that part because it's very interesting to have this, you know, up to the moment chronicle of all of these events. I was so excited about the prospect of this mocha-led safari. I don't know how I got through the following weeks of school. I don't actually recall getting through them, in fact. Memory winks out completely right after Pa delivered the news, then snaps back into focus as I'm boarding a British Airways jet with Marco and Willie and Tiggy, one of our nannies. Our favourite nanny, to be accurate, though Tiggy couldn't stand being called that. She'd bite the head off anyone who tried. I'm not the nanny. I'm your friend. Mummy, sadly, didn't see it that way. Mummy saw Tiggy not as a nanny, but as a rival. It's common knowledge that Mummy suspected Tiggy was being groomed as her future replacement. Did Mummy see Tiggy as her spare? Now this same woman, whom Mummy feared as her possible replacement, was her actual replacement? How dreadful for Mummy. Every hug or head pat from Tiggy, therefore, must have unleashed some twinge of guilt, some throb of disloyalty, and yet I don't remember that. I remember only heart-racing joy to have Tiggy next to me, telling me to buckle my seatbelt. Literally everyone lost at the hands of Martin Bashir and Panorama. It's really wild, the level of manipulation that even, you know, reading back, 
what Tiggy went through. We know that the BBC paid her extensive damages last year, and she released a statement saying how much she was scarred by that time and the media's treatment of her. I mean, I I also uncovered or read that Queen Elizabeth II's private secretary at the time launched an investigation into the nature of Charles and Tiggy's relationship based on these allegations from Diana. It just was such a mess. So anyways, but happier times. She wed her sweetheart, the one she was in love with, also named Charles from the get-go. And she has since gone on to stay in deep touch with both the families of Prince William and Harry. She attended both Kate and William and Harry and Meghan's weddings. She's the godmother to Archie. And fun fact, you can stay at the Glanusk estate for as little as 150 pounds a night, and it is gorgeous. I'm going to click that link just to see. Let's see. Yes. Go, everyone, look it up. It seems stunning. It's in South Wales. Gorgeous. And that's 6,000 acres of pristine countryside. Ooh, there's drone footage or something of the mountains surrounding it. It's beautiful. Wow. Okay. Trip. Yes. Yes. All right. Love that. Okay. Moving on to royal news. As you mentioned at the top, two royal memoirs are in the works. The first, King Edward VIII. He was king for a very short time. And An archivist and, quote, budding writer, as the Telegraph called her, Jane Marguerite Tippett, discovered a treasure trove of information from Edward VIII, and she's set to publish a new book called Once a King March in March of 2024. It actually comes out next week in the UK, so hopefully we'll see some headlines. I think it's going to be serialized next week, so we'll have to look out for that. So the Telegraph, like I mentioned, said that Jane has found an extraordinary treasure trove of forgotten documents, including an early draft of Edward VIII's memoir, which we now know published in 1951, was called A King's Story. That one was pretty vanilla. They said that he had left out a lot of juicy bits. Tippett suggests this early draft has a lot more of the salacious stuff left in. And so we're going to be reading about that in hers called Once a King. This is really interesting to me. This archivist, Jane, she went to Oxford. She was inspired, actually, by Harry's spare and his ghostwriter, J.R. Moringer. And she thought, what if I hunted down the ghostwriter of Edward VIII's book and his archive and his notes to see what he kept out of the book? And that's what led to this massive, massive discovery. She says the notes of Edward VIII and his ghostwriter, who this archive she stumbled upon belongs to, in some ways, sound like a Zoom conversation. What she imagines Harry and J.R. Moringer went back and forth like. She says that there's handwritten asides. There's a lot about the really controversial time Edward VIII spent in Germany about his Nazi years. The writer whose archive she checked is called Charles J.V. Murphy. He was a journalist at Times Magazine. And this is a quote from Tippett. In the Telegraph, she says, as soon as I sat down in front of the material, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. She said there's hundreds of pages of transcripts and conversations. It's all new material. She kept asking herself, how could it not have been found before her heart was racing? I mean, this is 
very tantalizing. I can't wait to hear this. I'm on the edge of my seat, Roberta, reading that article in The Telegraph, as you mentioned. It was just like full of such promise and exhilaration, but then it doesn't spill any beans yet. So I really can't wait. And also says, didn't this original ghostwriter also speak with Wallace Simpson? There's some chats with her it mentioned as part of his research. I think so. Yes. Yes. And she also had a memoir come out, The Heart... Let me make sure. The heart know knows the what name. it wants or something like that. It was yeah, the like- heart knows what it wants, something like that. But yes, and her notes are also in here as well. Supposedly, it's going to shed a lot of light on who Edward VIII really was as a person. I don't think it's going to really excuse any of that kind of friendly relations with Nazis or, you know, those images. We yeah. all know that that's definitely part of history. It's not going to rewrite any of that. It sounds like it's just going to shed a lot of light on who he was as a person and his personality, and also maybe kind of reframe why he stepped back and abdicated. Because I think we all know it was for love. It was for Wallace Simpson. But a lot of the Telegraph article was spent kind of dissecting his dedication to the royal job and his service. They said, you know, royal tours nowadays last like four to five days. He spent a year in India. And so it's like, he had a really tough time coming to the decision he did. And I think that this will kind of reframe how we all think about him, especially post season five of The Crown, where we saw that really, I think, fabulous portrayal by whatever actor that was in The Crown. But as sort of shirking off royal duty, I don't think that's necessarily how it went. Yeah, I think it's really fascinating. I I really can't wait to read it. And um, and it is also interesting. They talked about why the original ghostwriter didn't spill what Jane has discovered. And it was, I think, that his family mentioned that Charles wasn't that interested in society coverage. He cared more about politics. So he maybe just left it on the cutting room floor. But it sounds quite significant. So I'm excited. Yeah, he covered the economy for Time magazine. He was not really that. <laughs> He didn't think like, like this is not where royal gossip was I about. Want to spend my Interesting. Time. Whereas we would all be like, <gasps> give us the gossip. Yeah. <laughs> so fascinating. Another royal adjacent memoir coming out in March of 2024, which is when Once a King comes out, is Charles Spencer's A Very Private School. That's right. Diana's brother is writing a book based on his youth at Maidwell Hall Boarding School. I believe this is his first ever really personal biography he's written. Obviously, we know a lot of historical fiction, a lot of novels. This is going to be huge. It's a huge royal memoir month in March. So we're bookmarking it. There are a few quotes from Charles in Town and Country in his statement. He says, I spent five years of my childhood in this school trying to crack the code by which I lived. Now, 45 years on, I think I'm finally there. I'm writing this book before my memories of half a century ago tip over into the chasm of forgetfulness that shadows old age. He said, beyond my own experiences, I wanted to look at what was really going on in this strangely secret place. And it sounds like it was kind of not a great experience for him. It's very young Prince Charles boarding school vibes with the cruel. It's The statement goes on to say it's a firsthand account of a culture of cruelty at the school. Eesh. Boarding schools didn't seem to go well back then. It seems no. like it was quite a different experience. It was yeah. very antiquated, which is what the statement mentions. I wonder if we'll get any mentions of his sister, Princess Diana. Or then Lady Diana, I guess I should say. But it's definitely very uh, secret history vibes or even like Dead Poet Society. I kept thinking of that. Like what boarding schools, yeah. movies and stories. But yeah, so we'll have to see for those two. 
All right. Well, pivoting, we're talking also about some royal vacations for work and for play. First up, the Sussexes jetted off from New York City to the Caribbean. They were spotted by an onlooker, not a pap, in Canoen, to be exact. The Sussexes were seen holding hands and looking very relaxed on this very tiny island in St. Vincent and the Grenadines. Megan was wearing a dress that's past season by Chloe. It just looked very relaxed, those images. Right, Roberta? Oh, my gosh. It reminded me of so much of her Invictus dress, the teal one with the cutouts. It was almost the exact same style. Yes, you're totally right. That's a good call. I had to cut because I hadn't heard of this tiny island. I did a quick Google search and Travel Leisure actually did a big article about it as recently as July this summer. Hmm. The island is very under the radar. It's a 45-minute flight from Barbados. The celebs that go there are people like Robert Downey Jr., George Clooney and Amal, Leonardo DiCaprio. <laughs> this was the quote. Canoen is the place billionaires go to escape millionaires. Oh, wow. LOL. <laughs> and up until recently, very recently, apparently, it used to tally more turtles than residents. Whoa. There's really nothing to do there. You go to relax and take in the blue waters. Also interesting, this writer hiked to the top of an area to get some sweeping views, and you can see Mystique from it, which is a, kind of interesting because obviously that's where Kate and William love or have recently loved to go in the past. There are a variety of hotels to choose from. Not too, too many, but there is the Mandarin Oriental, which I think if you click that link, Roberta, you can see a pic of the Mandarin Oriental, which looks stunning. But there's also a Soho Beach House. We do not know what, if at all, Harry and Meghan's itinerary was, but she obviously is very close with Marcus Anderson from the Soho House line of properties. So if they stayed there, the price looks to be about $1,200 a night, although that isn't the member rate. and We know Meghan's a member. Gorgeous. I'm glad that they got a getaway. And it absolutely made me think of Megan's quote at the Archibald Summit in New York City last week. I want to play that clip that, of what she said. It's very short, but listen up. But being a, a mom is the most important thing in my entire life. And um, outside, of course, being a wife to this one. I think the, the reason when I saw these pictures, that particular slice of that sentence lived in my head was because it kind of demonstrates how much Meghan and Harry walk the walk, talk, you know, talk the talk, walk the walk on their marriage. I think that it's really cool to see these examples of them separating from the kids. Archie and Lily were not there. And I also think it underscores for me how interesting a lot of these marital or family insights are for me about the royal family, because it's, you know, obviously comes from a place of privilege when you can take these like very, very, very fancy billionaire level getaways alone for a couple like jet off and have you know your kids are in proper care and all the royals do that. It's not just Harry and Meghan, but I like just this idea of or aspirational ideal of of putting your marriage above all else because it's important. <laughs> Matt, if you're listening, I believe it. <laughs> I'm being so silly and not serious, but I can just picture them standing atop the highest lookout with binoculars staring at Mustique to see what the whaleses are up to. <laughs> yeah. Do the whaleses go there anymore? That's what I wasn't sure. Is that I mean I, I think they do go there. I think they might like they might be there now. Just a pandemic pause, maybe. They're on they're on their half term break right now. So they could even be there at the same time, which yeah. is crazy to think about that they'd be. But anyways, they were up to some travel last week. What were they up to? 
William and Kate were also on the road last week for more rugby in France. This time, William and George popped up at Stade Velodrome in Marseille on Saturday for the Rugby World Cup quarterfinal. This was Wales versus Argentina. Then Kate showed up solo on Sunday for England versus Fiji. Wales lost. England won. So they advance into the next, insert sports term here, <laughs> semifinal. Is that right? Something like that. <laughs> um, very excited. Following along, promise. Um, <laughs> I think it's obviously the delight is seeing George. And as you mentioned, it is his half-term break. And the half-term treat he enjoyed was pizza. Apparently, that's a favorite of his. And he tucked into a lot of it. I like that Kate heard about that later. Like she got the full report because someone mentioned like, oh, George loved the pizza yesterday. He really tucked in. She was like, oh, I heard. I was like, of course, like like the full report, like the first thing he tells her is probably like, mom, the pizza was so good. I know. I mean, but also that was, I mean, not to, I'm just going to talk about sports nonstop here, but that was what I'm always in it for when I go to these sporting events. I'm like, what am I ordering at these different stadiums and sporting locations? 100% that is why I go. They do it so well. It's like next level gourmet now. The stadium that, yeah, Philly has such good, Citizens Bank Park has amazing food, I'll have to say. This is my second Philly's mention, which is amazing, but. Go Phils. I know. Well, I'm going to take us on a sports tangent for a second because I did want to ask, are you watching the Beckham doc? It's on my list as well as I want to watch the first Saturday Night Live that aired this weekend and I didn't have time to watch it on Saturday night. And it's definitely on my list. But Beckham doc is too. And I love Posh Spice so much. Well, the internet is making me fall in love. So it is next. But I wanted to mention this Amy O'Dell newsletter that I, her Substack, she talked, this was what bubbled up in my feed this week. She talked about Victoria Beckham's quote, where she says in one of these episodes, I'm not into football at all. I wasn't into football then. I'm not into football now. She's obviously not talking about rugby. She's talking about soccer in the US version of events. But Amy notes how badass it is that Posh is speaking up for people who aren't necessarily (laughs) members of sports fandoms. And it just made me feel kind of seen because... (laughs) Of course, the Royals have me interested and different members of my, you know, people in my life have a, yeah. have me and you, I know, interested. But I just thought this was kind of fun. And again, I keep wanting, I keep getting hooked in with these social media reports of the show. Or- I keep throwing the sports references out to Dave to be like, David Beckham, like huge footballer, like you like it, like trying to get him to interested. So I think it's working. I'm slowly cracking the shell. of Yeah. <laughs> Getting him to watch yes. something that I I'm going to start it tonight, I think. It seems so good. We watch Sex Education together and both love it, though. So there are some shows that we can yes. watch together and some that I... There's a lot of good TV, and then we're going to have a big gap with all the strikes and that impact. That is but, true. All right. That's true. Anyways, that's, I think, the end of the sports in this episode, but let's carry on. I mean, on. we shouldn't say that because there's probably another mention. So let's continue. But <laughs> I did want to rattle off some quick dates before we get into our highs and lows. So the Royals announced that Charles and Camilla are going on a state visit to Kenya at the end of this month, October 31st. They leave on Halloween. They get back four days later, November 3rd. Also, Earth shot in Singapore, November 9th. Charles's 75th birthday on November 14th. The Crown Season 6 Part 1, reminder, drops on November 16th, two days later after his birthday. And then you saw this kind of secret date float up. Tell us about the royal carols together at Christmas. I just saw that there was a royal website snafu that revealed the date of the royal carols together at Christmas concert, Kate's signature event. 
and it was immediately taken down. And you pointed out when I brought this up that this isn't that shocking because it has been held on December 8th for the last couple of years. And this is when they pre-tape it, too. It's not like it. I think it airs on Christmas Eve, technically, for the world to see when we get those arrivals picks. But I'm excited. I'm excited, too. Even if it is the same date every year, I think this is an amazing foray into sleuthing for you. And I'm so proud of you. Oh. I absolutely, with the help of People Magazine, of course. <laughs> but um, I absolutely penciled it into my rifle paper company calendar. I love that you're really excited to discover it. And then I was like, it was December 8th, 2022. And I think it was December 8th, 2021. <laughs> but you were super kind about it. You always are so kind to me. You're like, Rachel, I'm just really proud of you in this moment, even though it's kind of you know, a, a next level detective would have figured this out. Well, we love to have our royal calendar up to date. And those are the dates that are coming up. So if we missed any, please write us in info at gallerypodcast.com. It's time for the royal highs and lows. Before we adjourn the royal pod, our highs and lows of the week. My low is not that we got new crown images because I'm really excited for season six and seeing these images, especially of Elizabeth Debicki as Diana, but that William is a, a big stretch for me in terms of the actor looking like who the real person is. I'm allowing myself to be convinced. I'm open to it come November 16th. I'm just not seeing it right now. And, like, no shade to this actor who I'm sure does a wonderful job. And everyone said, actually, they had chills while he was doing the table read. But I think the pictures, like, do not do William justice. Yeah, the picture didn't do it justice. So maybe it's just that, like, moment, you know? Yes, exactly. Milo is just this random news about the poster campaign targeting the Middletons amid this party pieces collapse and filing for bankruptcy I guess malicious posters were plastered all over Buckleberry and your guy, your man, James, was spotted tearing them down. Oh, a hero. Your royal man. local hero. And it's in relation to the fact that Carol and Michael exited the business. They still had 2.6 million pounds worth of debts that they owed their creditors that are demanding that they pay them out of their own pockets. From my understanding, limited business knowledge, it doesn't totally work like that. And this week, there's a giant Telegraph interview with the new owner, James Sinclair, that kind of absolves Carol of any, you know, role in needing to repay those debts that she sold to investors. And they were the ones that caused all the issues. She basically retired. And so he acknowledges that it's not like Carol got a big fat check when the business was done, but it's just icky. The headlines for Carol and, and James, who has a baby on the way. Yeah. And the fact that he has to tear down posters around his house about this, like, Who's leaving these up? This is awful. All right. My high is kind of a little old, but it's just from last week. It's this BBC Radio 1 interview that Kate and William did for World Mental Health Week. And we're going to play a little snippet from it. So we have a feature on our show called Access All Apps. We're not expecting you to let us go through your phones. Um, it's unlike, unless you want us to, no? <laughs> but we'd love to know, uh, what's your most used emojis? Is this a clean thing or is it a family one? Oh, come on. Depends what group exactly. It's a family I've been told not before. to say the aubergine, so I've got to pick something else. So <laughs> it's the aubergine. It, was, it would have been the aubergine, but I'm saying now, because I've got to be a bit more grown up, it's the one with the eyes go up and down and the mouth's out and you're a bit like, yes. What's that one? The crazy, it's like, yeah. you know, sort of Mine's like, probably got to be the heart with then the crying emoji. Yeah. This sort of like hysterical laughing oh, when laughing. things have gone wrong. 
Why Why does William use an eggplant so much? Like, can someone elaborate? I don't understand. Do you have any guesses? Like, I definitely use the one that he said is the second. But yeah, why? Why? Yeah, the woozy face. Like, is it the woozy face? Like, like that? Or and I definitely use Kate's the most. Like hearts and the crying laughing. I use so much. Like overuse, and that's such a millennial thing of her to do. But what is he using the eggplant for? Like, unless it's, like, like to call a friend, like, I'm, this is a family-friendly show, but, like, the D word? Like, I don't know. Like, I don't know. I don't know. I know. We need more context, William. It's That's so, so random and weird. It made me laugh so hard, though. <laughs> That's my high. Why are the emoji insights of the royals so delightful? I don't know. And the fact that this journalist actually also made them crack up by being like, can we look through your phone? No. Like, it, they, their faces must have been, you can't see their faces at that moment, but it was just hysterical, so. We need more royal candor from the whales, because I do think those moments, those kind of spontaneous interactions are really fun with them. Yes. All right, my high is just, so we brought up Suits last week as my low, asking you shall receive, but we got word this week that there's a new Suits spinoff in the works. I just can't believe it. It's credit to the global streaming revolution. And I guess cough, cough, Megan, for just shining a light on this amazing show that had aired for nine seasons and just is having such a resurgence. It's not going to be the original cast. It is set in the Suits universe. So I think the thought behind NBC Universal and the original creator of the show is that it'll be similar to CSI and NCIS. The thought, though, is that this new season will set in L- be set in L.A. So I feel like that makes it so a Megan Mike, I call her Megan, a Rachel Mike cameo is required, right? <laughs> yes, definitely. If they're not in it, they'll be hell to pay. Yeah. Boycott. No, no. I love Suits. I like, like I said, you're watching it for the first time. I'm watching it again for the second time. Where do we find the time to watch all this TV? I don't know, but we do. And Suits is on the list. Uh, I love that there's going to be a spinoff, though, because of how it's so good. And I loved watching it all summer. And I need more. So this is exciting. I mean, even if they got Lewis lit to cameo, I feel like we'd be happy. Yeah. Anyone. Anyone. Just a reminder before we close, leave us a royal rating. We've loved some of the reviews we've gotten recently. Here's a lovely one titled Longtime Royal Listener. I've been a dedicated listener of Royally Obsessed since 2020, and it has consistently been a staple in my life, much like the royals themselves. I wholeheartedly share your sentiment, Roberta. I truly hope there's a possibility of having Duchess Meghan narrate a calm sleep story. Her voice is perfectly suited for audio. I know. I aim to be like Megan more in our recordings. You sounded like Megan as you read that. That was so soothing to me. <sighs> you were so kind. She goes on to say, I want to express my gratitude for your unwavering dedication to keeping us informed about all things royal. Week after week, you ladies deliver exceptional content. Your loyal listener, Tessa. That is so, so sweet. Thank you so much, Tessa. That so sweet. made our day, our week. Reminder to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Follow us on Instagram at Royally Obsessed Podcast. Send us an email, info at gallerypodcasts.com. Until next week, God God save the pod. Her Majesties of Royally Obsessed have retired for this episode. God save the pod. And if you fancy the podcast, give Royally Obsessed the royal rating of five stars on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Instagram at Royally Obsessed Podcast and join our Facebook group, Royally Obsessed. Royally Obsessed is a Gallery Podcast production.